From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Uh, Before we get rolling, let's welcome another affiliate, WRNIAM in Providence, Rhode Island. WRNI 1290 AM in Providence. Wow, great to be uh, part of the WRNI radio family and their weekly programming schedule. Uh, Really appreciate uh, you bringing The Conspiracy Show on board. Uh, This is our first affiliate in Little Rhodey, as it's called. I love Rhode Island's motto. Very simple, succinct, to the point, inspiring, hope. That's their state motto. All right, let me ask you something. What do you consider to be the greatest threat facing Western civilization? Is it Islamic fundamentalism? Russia? China? The disparity between the 1% and the rest of us? Environmental degradation? Climate change? Uh, Some of you may be familiar with Elon Musk. He's the Tesla and SpaceX founder, who is uh, occasionally compared to comic book hero Tony Stark. Well, Elon is worried about a new villain that could threaten humanity, specifically the potential creation of an artificial intelligence that is radically smarter than humans with somewhat catastrophic results. Anyway, uh, Musk has been talking about superintelligence, paths, Dangerous Strategies, which is um, a book by Nick Bostrom at the University of Oxford's Future of Humanity Institute. And we're going to talk about that uh, tonight, not with Elon Musk, but with an advanced tech expert by the name of Eric Schiffer. He'll join me tonight to discuss the potential of a robot apocalypse. What will it be like when many of us are working alongside robots? And that future is much closer and potentially more dangerous than many of us think. Uh, But first, uh, last week I introduced one of the speakers, one of the remarkable uh, speakers that will be appearing at my upcoming conference, Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit, which is happening this November, November the uh, 16th, at the Regent Theater in Oshawa. Uh, Professor Ronald Mallett uh, joined us last week. He'll be speaking about time travel and his theoretical time machine. Tonight, I'd like to introduce you to another remarkable gentleman who will also be appearing at Follow the Truth. Donald R. Schmidt is the former co-director of the Allen, or the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, where he served as director of special investigations for 10 years. Prior to that, he was a special investigator for the late Dr. J. Hynek and the, uh, director for the, or the art director for the International UFO Reporter. He graduated from MATC with a degree in commercial art and graduated uh, cum laude from Concordia University with a degree in liberal arts. He's presently taking graduate, or this is an older uh, bio, actually. I I think he has a uh, a graduate degree in criminal justice. He is the author of dozens of articles about UFOs, as well as the co-author of The Roswell Dig Diaries, Sci-Fi Declassified, The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell, Witness to Roswell, and Inside the Real Area 51, The Secret History of Wright Patterson. It's a great pleasure to welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Donald Schmidt. Don, how are you? Well, hello, Richard. So good to be back with you again, and thank you for all those kind words. And uh, really looking forward to sharing the stage with you uh, again Sunday, November the 16th, at the uh, the Regent Theatre in Oshawa, Ontario. 
so what can we expect? I mean, uh, obviously, we, we're just going to spend a few moments here uh, uh, with a few of the highlights, but uh, you're going to be presenting. Obviously, we'll, we'll, uh, Roswell will be front and center. Yes, it will be, and we will also be focusing on the aftermath, the the history that even most within ufology, if one removes Roswell from the equation, it paints this picture of the government just floundering around, uh, and I talk specifically the United States government, and going through their special UFO projects, Project Sign, Grudge, and Blue Book, and that they just never really you know, got, uh, you know, with it really, you know, really got going as far as a legitimate investigation, when in reality, after Roswell, they had the physical evidence, as evidence even within two months after Roswell, in September of 1947, when then General Nathan Twining, who was the head of the Air Material Command at Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio, actually uh, signed off on a letter where he stated the phenomena was something real and not visionary or fictitious. So we're going to, you know, demonstrate that if one inserts Roswell, in other words, that if history, as far as the United States government, is based on the fact that in 47 they did indeed recover physical evidence demonstrating that we are not alone, that there is an intelligence beyond the beyond planet Earth, and it had a mishap involving a crash. We recovered the technology, and what if after all this time we still can't find the on button? That the cover-up remains a cover-up of ignorance, that during these past 67 years, that all they can do is bury it, hide it away, create it up, prevent future generations from ever learning the truth. And as a result, we are in the midst of this uh, ongoing self-perpetuating cover-up that if not for those of us, at least within the civilian organizations, researchers and investigators who are devoting their lives to unraveling this truth, the public wouldn't have any access, wouldn't know anything about this subject. If there's anyone living or dead that knows more about the Roswell UFO crash uh, more than you, Don, I, I don't know who that person might be. How many how many digs or how many archaeological digs have you led at the actual UFO crash site? There have been four, and I have led all four of them. We are presently planning on a fifth for early next year. I say early, I, I mean uh, the latter part of spring. And the next time we're actually going to uh, work away from the site, the, the actual site, miles away, we're going to follow the uh, natural runoff, the erosion from the area, and we're at deposits where everything through all these decades has been depositing all these years with the hope that something may have been moved unbeknownst to anyone and uh, it, it needs to be excavated. We, uh, we confirmed the gouge, for example, witnesses have described um, for uh, many times taking us out to the site where immediately after the incident something had left a furrow about 10 foot wide, hundreds of feet long, and something had impacted. And, a, and clearly a weather balloon of any sort doesn't leave an impact <laughs> site. And um, everything has filled in through the years. And in 2002 when we had a backhole, archaeologists actually crossed perpendicularly the very site and just below the surface there it was the symmetrical v 
Wow. And precisely where the witnesses told us. And uh, for the first time, it demonstrated that there indeed was an impact. Something had slammed across the ground, had skipped across uh, the terrain for hundreds of feet. And um, there's no documentation, no evidence, no eyewitness testimony to suggest anything else has happened out there except the crash of a genuine flying saucer. Uh, any other artifacts, uh, have, have any other artifacts turned up in the previous four uh, digs at Roswell? More of a prosaic uh, uh, type, uh, Richard, and that would be military buttons that would date in the 1940s, metal buttons with metal with military uh, markings and insignias on them, uh, the bottom of a lugged rubber sole of a boot, uh, the ranchers, the cowboys out there, all wear cowboy boots, you know, leather-soled boots. Sure. Not, uh, and these were, you know, these are army boots once again, uh, as it certainly appears to us. There have been metal fragments. We have found fragments since 2002. Some are not, especially on a radioisotope chart. Specific elements jump off. They should not be there. They are not. Um, of any known manufacturer that has ever been registered or patented here on planet Earth. So those are interesting. But let me say, Richard, what I'm more curious about, what I'm becoming at least more amused by, is that someone appears to be contaminating the site within the past five years. Oh my. Not only have nails been sprayed out all over once uh, certain areas of the site, but more and more fragments of just very plain aluminum, which were not there five years ago. And now metal detection is, is picking this up on a regular basis. So we're finding way too much. We're finding things that were never out there before. And, uh, again, it's as though someone is trying to not only contaminate, but uh, totally discredit any future findings on our part. And let me say, and I will also demonstrate this in my talk, that the military, specifically the United States Air Force, has been out there repeatedly since 1947. Not only immediately after the incident, for years after heavy rains, especially checking out to make sure they had every last piece of physical evidence, but even within recent years, ranchers, ranch hands, have caught Air Force personnel out there, doing who knows what. That's a lot of uh, time and effort just to, just to recover a weather balloon. Doug. Precisely, <laughs> and why should they be interested after over 50 years in the physical remains of very off-the-shelf material of neoprene rubber and wooden sticks and reflective foil and, and masking tape? This I'm, is out in the middle of the desert. Sure. Uh, I'm so thrilled that, uh, that you're going to be part of uh, Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit. And, and what I had intended for this conference is, is not to preach to the choir, but also to, to get this out to, the, to a mainstream audience, people that might be uh, interested in UFOs and, and ETs, and, and, but are, are not necessarily, for example, you know, uh, disclosure advocates. They have kind of a – they think something's going on. And this is, to me, the, a great entry uh, point for, for these people is uh, to hear a talk about Roswell because when it comes to, to UFO and, and ETs and ufology, really all roads lead to Roswell, don't they? Yes, yes, yes. All, re all roads lead to Roswell. All roads lead from Roswell to Wright-Patterson in Dayton, Ohio. It's where all the official UFO investigations took place. 
and is demonstrated in our, our new book. That is where the wreckage and the bodies all were transported immediately after the crash. So we'll be going through all that, all the new eyewitness testimony, all the interesting stories about Wright Pat and the underground facilities, the vaults, the hangars that have always been denied by the government. Can't We're wait. to present that as a court case that we would win in any court of law. Can't wait, Don. Uh, thank Maybe you so much. All right, that is Don Schmidt. Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit, six amazing speakers, and an all-day conference Sunday, November the 16th, Region Theater, followthetruth.tv, or you can call the Region Theater box office at 905-721-3399, 905-721-3399. Here's a little tip. Use the code word ROSWELL and receive a 25% discount. When we come back, are robots more dangerous than nukes? You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Stay a while, won't you? Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Eric Schiffer is chairman and CEO of Patriarch Equity and DigitalMarketing.com, and he is a renaissance man in the truest sense of the word. He's a best-selling author, a successful entrepreneur, a mainstay in New York, London, and L.A. high society. He's founded two companies listed on Inc. Magazine's 505,000 fastest-growing companies and serves as a trusted advisor to multiple Fortune 500 CEOs, presidents of countries, foreign leaders, and Forbes 400 billionaires. Eric Schiffer, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, earlier in the program, I was uh, uh, referring to Elon Musk uh, from Tesla and SpaceX yes. and uh, also, of course, Nick Bostrom's book, uh, Superintelligence Paths, Dangers, Strategies. Uh, yes. Do you share their fears uh, about uh, artificial intelligence and, and robots? I do, and have been speaking about it for some time. And in fact, um, preceded Ellen's, uh, you know, warnings about uh, becoming the biological bootloader for digital superintelligence, and and also, you know, I think also Hawking's, who has both commented about the positive aspect of what is this coming superintelligence and also the fact that it could be society's greatest destructive force, uh, not unlike what nukes uh, are and other major uh, societarial uh, potential harms to the continued life. And, and this is not really theoretical anymore. It's a question of time. Some are saying that uh, the most recent technologies are very close. Others are saying 5 to 10, 15 years. Artificial intelligence exists. I mean, it exists in many different forms. We know this, and, and we know we are readily beat uh, at chess with our greatest chess champions at Jeopardy. Uh, we are using it in uh, health and medical scenarios we're using it on the military side so it's not a question of of the capability it's just a question of at what point does it become self-sustaining reflective and can we as a society build in uh, safe harbor elements that can control or place into what uh, arguably has been encoded in us, which is a sense of morality. Well, l l let's uh, l let me get you to uh, just to say what it is. What is the nature of the threat 
then uh, with artificial intelligence? Why do we need to fear it? At the right point, artificial intelligence begins to become self-aware, can connect with others, and in the interests of humankind, can take measures into its own uh, hands using robotics that may seem to help society or seem to help human beings, but can end up becoming the destruction of human beings. So, uh, for instance, it may launch nuclear weapons. It could shut down uh, grids for electricity or shut down communication capabilities. Uh, it could begin to dig or construct uh, projects that would, uh, in the interest of being able to protect, again, humans, end up hurting humans. And so this is the concept that, that people are concerned about, and, and certainly uh, intelligent, thoughtful people, and, and also people that have seen uh, other like scenarios. And, you know, And when you consider the concept of even on the on the thematic side, uh, this concept of Skynet, which was this Terminator-like uh, machine that was uh, eventually began to think and plan and uh, and have a system where they began to take over, uh, it's it is not unreasonable to formulate what what hello. Yes, we're here. Yeah, it's yeah. not unreasonable to formulate this next generation situation. And this is what they this this uh, this pinnacle, this point of no return, is what we refer to as the singularity. Correct? I, I'm sorry, I missed that. I, you cut out. I apologize. All right, this this point of no return uh, when artificial intelligence. Uh, I suppose begins to look at at uh, humans as the enemy. This is is this what they refer to as the singularity? Well, this is singularity, but it, that doesn't necessarily presuppose that it's going to be the enemy. In other words, singularity means that robots at some point begin, or artificial intelligence begins to supersede human intelligence. That in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it can be great for society. The question is, at what point does it supersede? human intelligence, and then begin to uh, have it, the ability to think on its own and uh, and can pivot and do things that could uh, end up being the destruction of the human race. And we have no guidelines for this. We have no associations that are formed to ensure that the, art of, the construction of artificial intelligence has some level of what we would consider to be morality or a structure that would prevent this kind of thinking and action from occurring. And uh, there's certainly no regulation that, that looks at it or even any monitoring right now. And that's what I'm calling for. I'm calling for some level of uh, structure to this to encode what would be a digital morality into these systems so that we don't get into a situation that 5, 10, 15 years from now uh, we can't fathom because the machine is that much more intelligent, and we can't control because it's our, because the genie's out of the bag. And to presuppose that we're going to be able to figure this out uh, really undermines the whole premise of how machine uh, thinking can evolve. For instance, it, it's not necessarily going to be a type of intelligence that that uh, we we may know. In, in other words, it, be, it can be a far more complex form, not unlike how a human may perceive 
the ratio between themselves and an ant's ability to think. Right. And to and so to the extent that we decide that we want to build a hotel in a certain part of the world, the last uh, person or, or thing that we intervene with or, or, to, or to check how, how it may impact would be you know ants or insects or even what they what they feel on the matter. Well, th- this is the same scenario. Is is that when you get when you get into these these uh, two and three level of uh, potential conceptual areas, you can have these kind of situations in which humans are not consulted. Humans are are a byproduct, and they and the robots and artificial intelligence can think that because it's in their best interest, ultimately as a society, to protect humans, uh, it's okay to destroy X amount. And again, without a structure in place, we risk this. And this is, you know, when Kurzweil says 15 years to 20 years, and when some of these other great minds are saying. We really need to look at this because this could be our the worst uh, type of uh, invention from a a life preservation standpoint. This is not far off. And then when we consider what's already going on in the military, I mean, the military has devices now, at least on the U.S. side, that are both of a robotic nature and of a super intelligence nature that would make your jaw drop. Uh, we're talking about robots that um, are not far off from what we've seen in the movies on the Terminator side. We're talking about mechanical horses that uh, can carry tremendous payloads up hills. We're talking about uh, cheetahs that can run at speeds far faster than uh, most animals to track down things. And we're talking about intelligence uh, on a artificial level that can supersede some of the things that we've seen, certainly on the IBM uh, chess and Jeopardy level, in the ability to predict future events. Advanced tech expert Eric Schiffer is here. He's chairman, CEO of Patriarch Equity and DigitalMarketing.com. Uh, now, uh, Eric, your, your companies, they utilize some pretty cutting-edge technology. Does artificial intelligence or robotics uh, enter into any of your uh, uh, commercial interests? We we have uh, technology that we have built on the artificial intelligence side, and I'm using it much like I think Musk is using it in that he's investing to be aware and to be close to what's going on so he's not surprised. And that's much the way that I'm uh, doing it too, to be on the forefront to ensure that there that, that we're, we have a seat at the table, that at some point there isn't going to be this quantum uh, set of discoveries that can give companies this huge set of strategic advantages. Clearly, Google is a big player in this game. And that raises a whole host of questions when you have an organization that has so much uh, intellectual property, and that intellectual property can serve strategic and decision-making uh, capabilities when uh, when those strategic decisions are what causes you to win in the marketplace and causes you to have tremendous power from a lobbying perspective and from a public policy perspective. And, and who are the main drivers in, in the development of artificial intelligence? Is it the military? Is it biotech? Who? Military and private industry. DARPA on the military side um, on the, within the U.S. Uh, is a big player, 
in the in this arena because of the uh, benefits to uh, preservation of the nation and also to ensure that uh, you know there isn't an, an upstart terrorist organization that is investing in this and look you you've seen what ISIS has done with the minimal amount of, uh, of technology uh, capability that it has. It absolutely has invested in some low-level forms of artificial intelligence and programming capability in some of the things that it's doing on Twitter, uh, low-level. And so, you know, the military on the U.S. side wants to, wants to stay ahead and, and it needs to to protect itself. Uh, but you're also seeing in the private industry start largely Google and then many startups that are making specific vertical by vertical investments in artificial intelligence and in robotics. And, and then it brings up another question on the robotic side, which is what will happen to capitalism and what will happen to society in general when you've got this huge set of strategic shifts that will happen, largely uh, ones that will uh, relate to manufacturing and some on the service side. So, for instance, you know, when you consider back in the uh, Industrial Revolution, 40% of the workforce were on the farm until some of the inventions that came in in the form of uh, uh, changes to how farming was made uh, more efficient, more productive. And then people moved into the professional services arena and the services arena in general. Well, services has always been one that was considered that would protected because of the human element. But when artificial intelligence gets gets to the point where it can encode emotional intelligence and take some of the best and smartest minds on the emotional intelligence side and begin to uh, license that technology to machines and to robots and to software that can that can be transferred to other people to to many different applications. Suddenly, you've uh, now made what would cost someone forty thousand dollars a year uh, as a, as a business to hire on the front end side to service clients uh, replaceable with a machine that can uh, connect emotionally, that can read people's uh, heart rate their breathing, their pupil dilation, the tone of their voice, and ensure that they give them what they're looking for uh, and have the memory and the recall to be able to do that with precision. It's already happening, by the way. Indeed. I mean, we're in the midst of another jobless recovery. I mean, where are the jobs? Well, apparently they're being uh, performed by by robots. Well, it's beginning. And and where it's interestingly uh, happening is also in the areas that you wouldn't consider. So, for instance, China. Uh, one of the biggest manufacturers on the Chinese side for iPhones has experimented recently with the most uh, recent rev of the iPhone 6, and they have replaced about five to 10,000 workers with machines that uh, are doing it at a fraction of the cost without uh, fainting, without uh, needing to eat, without needing to go to the bathroom. And so it's kick- they're kicking out a lot more efficiency. But it brings up a whole host of questions when that begins to scale about the uh, ability for that country to stay stabilized when putting people to work and, and ensuring that people are earning some form of a wage has been a way for the Communist Party in, in tacking over to, to capitalism to maintain control and maintain some level of societal balance. In in the United States and in Canada and in other countries where the recovery has been happening but not as fast as we would like, 
there there are these questions, which is how are we going to keep people working, and what are we going to do when the robots and artificial intelligence begins to build uh, steam with companies who are looking to cut costs and looking for efficiency. Will there be a public policy component that will have to be put in place? Will there need to be a tax on these robots to ensure that uh, we're offsetting? Will people need to be retrained? I mean, ultimately, the, the future uh, worker will need a combination of both very specialized skills as well as great emotional intelligence skills to supersede the ability that the robots will have. All right, Eric, stay where you are. We'll come back and uh, continue to discuss robots and artificial intelligence. More dangerous than nukes? Eric Schiffer, Chairman, CEO of Patriarch Equity and DigitalMarketing.com. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, welcome back. Eric Schiffer is with us, advanced tech expert, Eric, I want to get to um, uh, microchipping in, in, a, in a few moments, but I want to stay with robots uh, for a few more moments. There was a, an interesting research uh, project conducted by uh, Pew Research and uh, Ellen University, and uh, they interviewed or they, they questioned about 1,800 industry experts about the role of, of robots, robot technology in the future. Will they create more jobs? Will they, will they take away jobs? And here's something that just jumped out at me. It says, nearly all the experts said things like driverless cars, robotic doctors and nurses, and intelligent digital agents would be part of daily life by 2025. Really? Robotic robotic doctors by 2025? Do you concur with that? Much sooner. Much sooner. Wow. That's, uh, that's a very conservative uh, perspective. And, you know, driverless cars, I mean, they're already here. They are, yes. But yeah, the, the doctors... This is nothing new. I mean, this is... Uh, some would say... Uh, they've been here for 10 years with some of the way drivers uh, drive. But, uh, you know, <laughs> indeed, it, indeed. I, so this is these are these are not um, far off. They're very close. When you have a guy who's such a visionary like Musk, who has said that uh, Terminator-like scenarios like the ones I'm describing can be absolutely created from AI. And uh, and who, as I said, has invested in his own artificial intelligence of company, not necessarily for investment purposes, but but he wants to ensure that he's close to it. He wants to keep an eye on the technology, as I do, to ensure that uh, that we don't these things don't run amok. I mean, what he's basically what you're doing when you're when you're getting involved on the artificial intelligence side, uh, and what what the concern is is that these machines will then begin to develop what is like a neocortex for us, which is this ability to to sense and perceive and to be able to have conscious thought. And at that point, it then can form alliances with other machines and other systems. And depending upon what the uh, underlying code is, it can have the ability to update itself and to gain intelligence and to get smarter. And there are already other programs like this on the artificial intelligence side that have indexed far more data uh, than what Google has and has it in a much easier-to-pull matrix. So the systems are there. They're, they're in disparate parts. They have not all been strung together. They don't have the the full conscious capabilities yet, but they will. 
Uh, uh, robots are being used increasingly as caregivers uh, in Japan, uh, helping yeah, the elderly climb stairs and so forth. I mean, are we going to wake up one morning in the not-too-distant future and, and read about one of these robots turning on, on, on uh, some elderly person in Japan and have the first robot homicide? I don't think you're going to see it in those contexts. I think where you'll see it will be in areas that involve mistakes initially and then in areas that will include uh, likely terrorism. And then at some point you'll see it where these systems will run amok and will will take over in, in certain verticals and they'll have to be shut down. And so, again, it comes down to what are we going to do as a society given that we have right now uh, before the birthing of this superintelligence, the ability to control it, uh, were, we may not have the, the ability to control it at a later point. And we have a responsibility for the future generations to at least get at the table and begin to encode some level of what I would consider to be neocortex-driven uh, cyber morality. How do, you, how do you get the attention of politicians who are, let's, let's face it, scientifically illiterate, how do you make the case to Congress, for example, that we need to act now? I think you do it through the prism of the military and through the prism of, of uh, ensuring that we're protecting uh, what could be uh, the, the future generations. And we look at it, again, through uh, factual and anecdotal scenarios. And we begin to try to do this through the private sector initially. Uh, I'm not suggesting regulation. I, I, you know, I think that's the last resort. I would suggest that we have some level of monitoring. Uh, that could even be overseen by the military or overseen by different forms of what would be considered to be in the United States Homeland Security and in Canada uh, similar. Uh, and perhaps uh, we start in that fashion through leadership on the uh, robotic side and with people at Google and with people that would be at Musk Company and others who can sit down and say, look, Let's look out five years from now, 10 years from now, when we know, and 15 years ago, when we know that this is very likely, and let's put together a cogent, responsible plan that considers the impact of our future uh, men and women and future generations. You mentioned Ray Kurzweil uh, a little yep. while ago, and, and um, I've, I've talked to a number of advocates of the, of the transhumanist movement on this program. And a part of the, their message scares me, quite frankly. You know, the merging of, of, of humans with robotics uh, in some quest for perhaps immortality. Is that a concern? I mean, are they, is the transhumanist movement perhaps fueling uh, some of the advancements in AI that we really need to be concerned about? I don't think that's fueling it. I think it's uh, complementing to some level. Uh, but that's a different set of motives and drives and certainly a different set of uh, individuals that who, who are making those investments. They're, it's quite fascinating, and really the premise is, is that by leveraging nanotechnology and leveraging uh, robotics and also leveraging some artificial intelligence, but largely the robotic side with nanotechnology, you can rebuild the, the cells in your body and you can rebuild the organs and literally stamp out new organs and, and live 150, 200, 250 years uh, old. 
this is all very theoretically possible and the, again there are a lot of the pieces are already in place and I think it will happen I also think that there will be this convergence between technology uh, that may eventually have an organic form and uh, humans and so you know if they were considered to be the Borgs right this is coming too the the concern Beyond that, though, is this, or, or I guess parallel to that, is this other side, which is what Stephen Hawking and, and Musk and myself have warned about, which is that artificial intelligence, and, and this is Hawking's talking, has the potential to be the downfall of mankind. All right, and, listen, and let me jump in here, Eric. We, we'll take a time out. When we come back, we can finish. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740. We have a few moments remaining with Eric Schiffer, advanced technology expert, as we discuss the possibility of a robot apocalypse, if you will. Artificial intelligence surpassing human intelligence with catastrophic consequences and uh, you mentioned before the break Stephen Hawking has, has weighed in on this and uh, also voiced similar concerns uh, did you want to finish up on, on on that point before we move on to uh, microchipping uh, humans absolutely well I one of the things that uh, was mentioned certainly by him and by others was that if I mean you know not only does it have the potential to be the downfall of mankind uh, you're talking about this could be the last of mankind, and again, that's Hawking. Talking. I mean, this is not uh, some uh, you know uninformed uh, person that doesn't have the respect of the scientific community uh, that that is, is saying these things. And uh, another research fellow at the Future of Humanity Institute, Daniel Dewey who had said that, you know, the problem is you're building a very powerful uh, intelligent system that you're animating. You're putting it in a cage. And, look, to me, you can do certain things uh, with matter in order to achieve a goal. Like, uh, and, and with systems like, like what we're talking about, they may want to involve intermediate steps, like uh, tearing apart in the interests of, Making use solar panels, tearing apart the earth, and uh, and in the process destroying a lot of uh, people and and or resources that could be beneficial to to society. So these are these are things that that um, again need to be programmed in things that need to be ensured that we have protection against because superintelligence may not take our interests into consideration in these situations, just like. We don't take root systems or ant colonies into account when we go to construct a building. Well, and, and uh, but if we do this right, I mean, if we do it correctly uh, and and avoid these pitfalls, artificial intelligence, robotics, I mean, the the the, the potential is to, to mankind is is unimaginably huge. It it makes nukes seem like uh, squirt guns. I mean, you're talking about. Uh, the ability for, uh, for something that is so much smarter, almost commensurate with what we would interpret God for those that believe in a higher power to be like. 
All right. Uh, I want to talk uh, in the remaining moments uh, about something else I know that uh, you're concerned about, and that is microchipping. Uh, all Americans will be microchipped in, in three years. Is this your prediction? Well, this was an NBC News report, and this floated around for some time, and the concept was that in order to track for both protection and also for benefit, uh, the, the government was considering this. Now, there's been multiple reports since that question the validity of that report, but there are people that are already doing this now. And they're doing it for comfort and also convenience. So, for instance, they are they're injecting themselves with chips so that when they walk near, near their front door or if they decide to go into certain rooms in the house, then certain pre-programmed things will happen. If they go into their office, then certain things will happen on certain days because it knows it's there. Um, and so the, this is, again, a benefit of having those kind of things that would occur. It also is a downside because it's, it falls into the, the area of uh, a governmental super control and uh, the concept also on the biblical side of the mark of the beast. I mean, these, these are, these are age-old uh, stories that are beginning to potentially become real. Uh, one of the benefits, of course, is, uh, you know, in the way that it's being sort of peddled to us is, well, if you have an, an aging uh, parent, maybe someone with dementia, or if you have a small child, uh, you know, wouldn't you want to protect them? Wouldn't you want to, to have them chipped so that you can track their whereabouts and they could be recovered in the, in the event that the, an elderly person goes wandering or a child disappears? Uh, I mean, we're being sold the positive, the upside. Sure. Uh, but we're not being told, you know, the potential downside. Or those people that do warn against it are are, are labeled a bunch of tinfoil hat wearing kooks. Well, here's the thing: those same people can also be tracked by predators. They can also be tracked by extortionists. They can also be tracked by people who want to uh, kidnap and then ransom. So these are the these are the flip side arguments of of those same arguments and. Uh, yes, there are positives, but until there's enough safe harbor and safe protection against people using it in an improper way or a way that can that could create uh, tremendous pain to a family or to loved ones, uh, then then certainly there should not be a mandatory uh, implication. It's, this should always be a discretionary choice. I, I believe the American Medical Association has even given their tacit approval. Uh, to to such uh, implants. Um, why? I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, there is an, the upside. If someone is wheeled into an emergency room, they're unconscious. Such a chip would have, uh, you know, without having to contact their their next of kin, they would have a list of allergies uh, that could be accessed uh, or that would be accessible on such a chip. Uh, but. But we also know from uh, uh, chips that are used in in, uh, in 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 dogs, for example. Uh, these these have produced cancers in animals. I can't figure out why the American Medical Association would be jumping on board. Well, I think it's for those reasons. This there was a, a product called the Verichip, which they've now rebranded Positive ID, and this was a, an actual FDA-approved human implantable microchip. It was marketed by 
this company and had received approval back in 2004, but it was discontinued in 2010. And there were concerns about just what you're saying. I think you can get around the protection on the cancer side. The bigger question, though, is should public policy mandate it? And and on the discretionary side, will there be enough safe harbor to protect against people usurping it and using it for nefarious reasons? And then could you imagine that everyone's chipped and uh, and suddenly artificial intelligence gets to the point where it runs amok? Uh, and it can track everyone down. And so, you know, I mean, these these kind of doomsday scenarios uh, are not – they're not out completely outlandish. And so there needs to be fail-safes in all of these things. Uh, RFID chips are now ubiquitous. They are in virtually implanted in virtually every consumer product that you can imagine. And there is an upside for in terms of, uh, of uh, inventory control and, and so forth. It's, it's, it's great for retailers and wholesalers and so forth. Uh, people are concerned, though, that these RFID chips one day could be used to track us, maybe in, you know, through the, the, the one that's implanted in your, your pair of sneakers or so. How far away are we from those types of chips being tracked, let's say, from a satellite? Because now we're told only from a few yards away. The, uh, the satellite capabilities can be there, but what would happen is it would be a localized system. So, for instance, uh, yes, it's only a few yards away. But but what is coming is what Bill Joy uh, had, uh, who was the famous CTO uh, of, that helped to create Java and and other things at Sun Microsystems, had always talked about, which is this pervasiveness. And when you have systems that can measure uh, these RFID chips at at micro levels, then you just boot that up a larger level uh, and and. Uh, you can scale it all the way up to a satellite, and it can track everything. And so uh, the capabilities for for this to be tracked, uh, whether someone has an RFID on a uh, container that's floating across the Pacific Ocean from China or on someone's sneakers, is all, in theory, uh, the technology is there. It just needs to be strung together. Some of the implants that they're talking about, though, would have even greater capability and reach. And some of the technology that's being invented now in Silicon Valley has greater capacity as well. Again, uh, pause should be put forth on all of these things. I don't think you're going to see this in, uh, happen in, on a human level in the near future uh, unless it's a discretionary call. And, and, and what do you think would be the the, uh, the triggering mechanism where the, the government might uh, make it mandatory that, that uh, all citizens be chipped? Well, I think you could see it in the cases of wholesale immigration challenges or terrorism. So to the extent that terrorism became such, such a big issue and it was infiltrated, for instance, in the United States and in Canada, and we needed to we needed to ensure uh the the you know the ability to know who is who uh, i could see it in those situations but again it's pretty remote uh and would you be opposed to to chipping uh, alzheimer patients i think that there's advantages in those kind of things and as long as the, as long as there's some protection on the security side so there need to be several layers of protection to ensure that they that these individuals that have access to the RFID uh, passwords and the uh, the identifications cannot on the inside 
take advantage. So, for instance, you don't have a rogue employee that's tied in with a, with a bunch of uh, bad guys or, or bad actors, or you don't have a potential break-in uh, through a Russian gang that is able to steal these codes and then targets these individuals. There would need to be multiple layers of protection. And what about the, the chips now? For example, we have these enhanced driver's licenses where we're told if you want to go into the United States, for example, uh, and you have these en- enhanced driver's license, uh, they can actually, you know, you're three or four cars back in the lineup at, at customs, and by the time you get there, they've already read your, your, your driver's license. Yeah. All the information yeah. is there. Should we be concerned? Should we be fighting back against against these enhanced driver's licenses? If these are intrusive, and fighting back, I think is I think the cat's out of the bag on that one. I do think that if they're intrusive, I think that they could be used again uh, by the military and others that want to do surveillance. I don't think they are now, but certainly they have the capability to. Uh, and but again, you know, good luck trying to unwind that. That will be much tougher. Uh, but you're right; these are these are already at play right now, and uh, and certainly being used, and uh, and, for, and and for the benefit of protecting the homeland at this point. Uh, Eric, I really appreciate uh, your time tonight. I've enjoyed our conversation. Enjoyed Leave us with a website. Question. Leave us with a website. Uh, you can go to Eric Schiffer, E-R-I-C-S-C-H-I-F-F-E-R dot com, and follow me on Twitter, and you'll uh, hear uh, more of, of these kinds of things. I know that you uh, come in and host for George Nori. I was on George's show about uh, 10 days ago. And yes, I heard that's you That's available that. for, for those that missed it. And uh, I also, if you're interested in, in business-related articles and what have you, you can also check out some of my pieces on Forbes. Again, I appreciate your time, Eric, and uh, I hope we can do this again. I would like that. Have a great night. Take care. Richard. All right. Bye-bye. Eric Schiffer. My website, richardserrett.com, your portal to The Conspiracy Show. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth.